Welcome to the High Performance Health Podcast with your host, Angela Foster. The show where we talk about everything you need to break through limits and achieve a high performance mind, body and lifestyle. Really excited to share today's podcast episode with you. Um, In it, I interview Giles Watkins, who is the CEO that has solved his own sleep issues. Giles had an international career with organisations such as McKinsey that saw him visit over 70 countries and actually live in seven different countries. And over the course of his career, Giles developed chronic insomnia. This prompted him to finally address his problems through writing a master's thesis on the subject at INSEAD. And Giles has gone on to publish his new book, Positive Sleep, which is aimed at helping individuals and organisations make the most of the most valuable free resource they have, namely sleep. I've really enjoyed reading this book. It's very accessible and gives plenty of practical tips that you can use. And we dive into some of these in this interview, um, including Giles's own technique for getting back to sleep. So the insomniacs among you, I think, will really find this useful. It's a great technique that you can use if you wake up in the middle of the night to help you get back to sleep. We also look at how sleep affects creative thinking and leadership and how the energy demands on leaders, executives and entrepreneurs are akin to the energy required by professional athletes. Um, We also discuss bookending your day and the importance of a wind down routine and also the morning routine and the powerful effects that sleep has on our thinking and our neocortex, which is at the front of the brain. I think you'll really enjoy this episode and there's plenty of practical tips that you'll be able to use straight away. Um, So enjoy this. So I'm here today with Giles Watkins, author of the Positive Sleep book, which is a holistic approach to resolve your sleep issues and transform your life. Absolutely brilliant, practical book that I must say I loved, um, Giles. And this is on the back of your thesis that you wrote on the topic of sleep while doing your master's at INSEAD. That's correct, yes. yes. I did what is called an autoethnography, which I had no idea what an autoethnography was before I wrote one. Uh, it's a combination of an autobiography about your life in one particular area, which in my case was sleep, and an ethnographic approach where you try to understand it both through general reading and research as well. So actually sort of combining the academic with a practical case study, which is you, your life in that area. Yes. And through it, I managed to not only understand my sleep better, and actually you know, come up with some answers to improve it and essentially change my life. That's, I mean, I, I actually love it. That's why I say it's so practical in terms of sharing strategies because there's a lot of, um, well, an increasing amount of literature out there on sleep because it is so important. Yeah. But much of it is very kind of thick and people maybe don't have time and this is very accessible. Um, and you have is incredibly well researched as well. If we just kind of go back into what inspired you to write this um, this great book, originally you started to have problems when you were um, in management. You had problems with your own sleep. That's right. Um, having been somebody who hadn't really struggled at all, hardly. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, can you talk a little bit about that? What started to happen? Absolutely. Yeah. Thing. I was in my late thirties, and I just got engaged, and. The organization I was working for was a massive global restructuring uh, prompted by some acquisition of a a competitor. 
And all of us in a department of 25 suddenly told, were told we had to reapply for our jobs. And that was something I was used to because it had happened before to me in other roles. However, in those days, I hadn't been engaged to be married. And I had a vision of working, continuing to work for this organization for quite a while, of getting promotions, of being able to provide for my then hopefully you know, getting married and potential future family, etc. And I found it incredibly stressful that that, was, that could happen. And because when you're reapplying for your job, you don't ever quite know whether you're going to get it or not. And was I about to be made redundant, et cetera, et cetera. And my, my uh, future wife found it stressful too. So suddenly I've gone from an event occurs, a trigger event in my case, mm-hmm. but because my circumstances are different to when such a trigger event had occurred to me a few years before, I was stressed about it. And as a result, I started to wake up earlier and earlier and earlier. And it was a gradual thing. I didn't know the day after that happened that I suddenly had a sleep problem. It took me years to, to track that back and work it out. But it definitely was the moment when it happened. And I think a lot of people, people I work with and talk to me about this, there's always a trigger point. There's something that happens. And it's often a cocktail of different things coming together. Or in my case, something that happened before. But because the context was so different the anxiety that comes with it suddenly triggers this sleep issue. And I think that's the thing with sleep, isn't it? You can't actually think yourself to sleep. Like, it's something that has to happen to you. So that anxiety for a lot of people then compounds the situation and then they're thinking about trying to go to sleep, which, I don't know, in my experience, that makes it worse. Absolutely. And the most annoying thing, someone... If you start asking others about their sleep, you say, how do you get to sleep? And they say things like... Oh, well, I just lie down and put my head in the pillow and I go to sleep. If you're having sleep problems, especially with getting to sleep, mm-hmm. as opposed to waking up in the middle of the night or other sorts of sleep issues, it's the most annoying thing that someone, because it makes it even worse if you're with somebody yes. that is a good sleeper or doesn't aren't understand it and so forth. And yes, yeah, so when we deal a bit in the book about the book ending your night and how to try to prepare yourself to sleep so we'll actually get into bed and you're ready and you actually go off to sleep relatively, relatively quickly and so forth. It is a frustrating thing and, and, and probably one of the worst things you can do to just thrash around in bed and try to try to sleep if you're not able to. So would you advise, um, I know when I, I went to a talk with Matthew Walker yeah. not long ago that he would actually advise that um, if you're struggling to sleep, you must not stay in bed. You need to get up and actually go out of the bedroom because then the associate, I don't know if you agree with this, the association um, of the bedroom needs to be just for sleep and sex. So as soon as you're then thrashing around and battling with sleep, you develop a new neuron association that you are somebody that struggles to sleep in that bed. Mm. So he was advising you to leave the room, go and do something else like read with dim lighting and then actually come back once you're tired. Is that something you would advocate? I think that is a great suggestion. I have found I don't have to go that extreme. Okay. I can read in bed without having to leave the bedroom mm. uh, for 20, 30 minutes and then to go out to sleep. Uh, can read I can read it. Yeah. As long as I'm reading something that's not work-related. So yes. I'm a great cricket fan if I'm reading a cricket autobiography or I'm reading a magazine I like or something that you know, it can be stimulating. It can be about politics or technology or something like that. But if it's, as long as it's not specifically around, say, a client I'm meeting the next day or something like that, that's fine. Because it'll just be something I can, I can get absorbed in for yeah. a period of time and go, oh, that's great. I now feel ready to go back to sleep. I'm fine. 
I think what Matthew's suggesting makes a lot of sense, and it's probably for people with more extreme sleep issues than, than mine. But, yeah, uh, exactly. but I think it makes a lot of sense. So, yes, I, su- I would support that. Do you view. wear blue lo- light-blocking glasses when you're in bed if you're reading? So you're keeping the kind of blue light out, just if you've got a lamp on, or are you using a kind of red bulb when you're reading? Or do you not find that yours is sense- so sensitive that you need to do that? I'm things? not so sensitive. The only thing I do read is I always read paper. Okay. I never I read. Yeah, I never use a device. Now, I do believe that Kindles are fine. I believe that they generally don't emit blue light, and others that I've talked to about it tell me that it's fine and so forth. Because I get asked quite a lot about. Mm-hmm. Um, I was launching my book at an event last night. The first question was all about reading on Kindles, actually, um, and I said my experience is they're fine. So I don't use any of those things. In fact, I'm quite. I probably, probably, Angela, probably find me a bit old school when it comes to technology. Quite a lot of the things I mention and suggest are non-technological solutions, and I'm delighted that there's all this new technology now being applied to sleep. Because I think in the future we will have other things that can really help us. So a lot of what I I talk about is really, you know, almost old traditional ways of approaching it, but just combining those things, hopefully, the right way to support. A better sleep life. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think um, you very much do that. Now, one of the things that you mentioned as well, uh, which I think is helpful, and actually uh, this is something I practice myself, is this concept of using mindfulness to get you there and doing the body scan, yeah. um, a technique where you work with your breath and scan various areas of the body. And in, in the book, you talk about how if you were unable to go back to sleep after doing the body scan, it would still put you into this trance-like state and you'd get that relaxation. Can you explain a little bit more on how people could use that similar approach it, themselves? Yeah. Uh, to me, it's one of the most powerful techniques I've ever learned of anything. It's mm-hmm. amazing. As you say, the idea of scanning the body from toe to head and then head to toe several times, slowly breathing carefully and saying thank you, if you were like, on the way to each part of the body for the role they play in acknowledging the role of your feet, your knees, and all the rest of it in your life. Oh, interesting. Uh, I understand it. So you introduce gratitude as part of it. I introduce gratitude as part of it. And I've always found that if I do that for, say, five minutes per... It's five minutes to go up and five minutes to go up approximately. I'm estimating how long it's taking me because obviously I'm not timing it. If I do a couple of cycles... I either go straight back to sleep or I just get into this better state, almost like a trance-like state, almost where, where you're just at rest and at peace. Mm. But the point is, if you're in that state, you're not worrying about tomorrow's meeting or whether your boss is going to fire you mm. or your teenage daughter or whatever. You're just in a different state. And actually being in that different state will really help you rest and relax and feel much better. So even though you may not sleep your chances of just getting into a better state that really serves you mm. is quite high. So that's why I think that that uh, body scanning technique is is magic, really. It's fantastic, a fantastic yeah, technique. And lots of people have told me how valuable they found it. It's, a, it's one, of, one of the bits of the book where I get the best feedback. And mm. people think, that's really useful. Because there's no excuse. If just a little bit of discipline, if you, if you really want to make a difference, anybody can do that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely anybody. And once you've learned it, as you say, it's always there. Yeah. It doesn't matter where you are. You can use it whether you're traveling. Yeah. Um, and if you're sleeping with a bed part, it doesn't matter because they, they might be asleep. You could just lie there and body scan. You know, it doesn't, you're not interfering with anybody else. It's just something very self-contained and you can do it even on a plane or anything. So fantastic. Yeah. And I think that the breath um, is the one way that you can very quickly access 
the parasympathetic nervous system because I think a lot of people maybe don't appreciate that you can't be in both states at the same time. So if you are feeling anxious, you're in sympathetic nervous system mode, you can access the parasympathetic system through the breath. And what that then does is it will calm you down very naturally and move you from that sympathetic state. Um, So yeah, I I also find that very um, effective. Now, just on that, because we talk a bit about in the book as well, you talk about um, meditation as well. Um, mm. And is this something, I know you're a big um, a big person for napping. You had to mm. pull that back a little bit when you were having sleep issues. We've done quite a bit of research into how we can use meditation to rest, but also how we can use napping, mm. the work that NASA's done in terms yeah. of the ideal length of naps. Yeah. Um, and how that can interplay. What would you say to people that are listening about, um, is there a time that you shouldn't nap after so that it's not impacting bedtime? And how long should the length of the nap be? Certainly my experience and a sort of synthesis of the things I've read suggests that 3 p.m. is a good cutoff time for waking up. So if you're going to have a nap, Try and do so on the basis that you'll wake up by about 3 p.m. And if you do that, so even in the nap in the morning, sometimes before lunch, or most people straight after lunch, grab, you know, that's when you, within half an hour of eating, you often get that drowsiness. Take advantage and have the nap then if you can. Uh, not everyone can, depends on where you are. And I guess my dream is that large corporations do introduce the nap modules and all the things that do exist now. But, you know, you sort of like, you know the Huffington Post have it, because Ariana Huffington is so crazy about making sure people sleep properly, but not many organizations have that at the moment. Uh, so they have napping stations. Napping pods, yeah. You yeah. can actually get into this pod and off you go. Which I think of also, I think some Japanese companies have had in the past because people were just living almost at the office and so forth. I think Google has. I believe you're right. I've heard, yes, yeah. I've heard that. And I know one of my clients works with a, a leading Swedish office furniture and supplying company as they make them and so forth so i'm on you know they are they are out there mm-hmm. but it's it's still it's still it's early days friends, yeah it's early days so talking about napping in my experience there are essentially two types of nap there's a sort of power nap refresher which is what nasa researched and they worked out the optimum time seemed to be 26 minutes mm-hmm. because astronauts of course are up in space with no concept of day and night and this whole sense of how on earth are they going to get some sort of rhythm of sleep. It just completely goes out of the window because they're basically in space and it's always dark, as it were. So they did a lot of research and that's what they came up with. So my experience is that uh, around the 26 minutes. Now, I'm someone who can sleep fairly quickly normally. So if I had to put an alarm on, which I'm loath to do, but if I, I needed to make sure this nap was only 26 minutes, sometimes I do, I'll put it on for 30 minutes, and I know that pretty much within three or four minutes I'll be off. So that's, that's how I do that. But each person has to experiment and see how that works. However, the longer nap is the full 90-minute sleep cycle. So it's a full 90 minutes. As I said to you yesterday, oh, I said to you today, but yesterday I'd had a, uh, a busy week and I had my book launch last night, and I knew I would need to be on, you know, turbocharged form for that. So I, I literally lay down about 1.30, quarter to 2, made sure I was working from home yesterday and thought, I'll just see how long I need to sleep for. And I slept for an hour and a half. And then I woke up naturally. I literally sprung out of bed because I've had my hour and a half. And I know I've got a book launch tonight. And I'm, you know, obviously I'm very motivated by that. And 
that's the ideal longer nap. So those two naps, I was lucky that my, my parents were both nappers. They both thought the idea of after lunch, it was partly around them having a nap and partly around us as kids going off and learning to do our own thing and be quiet for a bit and in our rooms and stuff or whatever. It was part of how they thought, part of how they brought us up. And I'm grateful for that because I think it's, uh, um, it's quite a good discipline to have, really. Yeah, absolutely. And the important thing about that 90 minutes is that it's taking you through one sleep cycle exactly. so you wake up feeling rested. So it's, so it's, a, it's proper refreshment. It's yes. proper sleep, whereas the 26 plus or minus minutes is just a, is, is more like a booster. Um, if you then then link that to the meditation element that you, as you talked to me about, for me it's interesting. I actually, actually, Angela, I'm not sure I am a very good meditator. I I do sit down. I do have the the, the beads, is it the amla beads. Um, yes, you talk okay. about that um, in the book actually, which was another topic that I wanted to speak to you about the mala beads. The mala beads, so yeah, yeah. the, the mala beads. Um, because one of the reasons I like using the mala beads is that, for anyone who doesn't know what they are, it's a bit like a Indian version of the rosary in a funny sort of way. It's, it's, a, it's a, a, a set of beads, I don't know how many different beads would be, eight or a hundred beads on them. And literally you turn the beads through your hands as, you, you're, turning it, as, you, as you're meditating. And there's a little uh, silver clasp or something at one point, which means you know you've gone round at one turn when you, when you hit that. If you start there, you go around, you know you've done one turn. And in my case, it probably takes me seven, eight, seven or eight minutes, if you like, to do each turn. Um, so I work on the basis, I'll do three turns, yeah. um, and then I know I've, I've finished my meditation. And for me, meditation is probably a mixture of meditation and prayer. It's a sense of saying thanks. So I, I use it uh, I, I probably the first turn I think about saying thanks myself. Mm-hmm. The second turn I tend to think about other people in my life that I want to uh, ask for something for or be thankful for or whatever. And the third term is often visualization for me. It's not moving into an area of thinking about what I want for the future and so forth. So for me, I think, and sometimes. I'll, I'll follow that routine. Other times I'll go into something much more deep and meditative where I'm always just, if you like the classic uh, meditation, lots of people talk about, you almost feel like you're moving to another state completely. Mm-hmm. And I learned over the years not to beat myself up over the fact that maybe I'm not doing it right. So I just, that's the way I do it. And it's my way of just saying, oh, wait, what do I need today? And some days I need to probably go into quite a deep meditation and, and go off into something, just complete relax and go into that sort of space. And other days I probably need more of a connection, maybe a connection with a higher power and just have a conversation almost about saying thanks for stuff and what I, I want for my son or, mm-hmm. or how my dad is or whatever, uh, whatever it happens to be. And I've just come to be at peace with that. And to me, the main thing is that you set aside 20 minutes in the morning that's just that time and it's part of letting the day in it's, it's yes. part of the airlock that lets the day in you see because there's quite a lot of evidence particularly the organization sleep which els van der helm uh front stop els van der helm who's a phd in sleep they talked to me about the fact that one of the things that when you wake up your brain is still processing the stuff from what's happened, you know, what it's been processing overnight, some of the memories from the previous day and the emotions and all these different things that are happening in, in the brain. 
And there's almost a, like a little bit of a time that needs to just finish that off before the brain warms up. Mm-hmm. So it takes maybe up to an hour for the neocortex and to be sort of ready to go. Now, in that hour, isn't it wonderful to spend 20 minutes just yeah. some, some quality quiet time which either which either thorough meditation or or almost like say some more of a sort of prayer thankfulness time because the evidence that Els and her team have come up with suggests that if you reach immediately for the mobile phone you're starting to load new stuff mm-hmm. new data new messages new work tasks new things that happen overnight in America or whatever into your brain when it hasn't fully processed stuff that's been processing overnight Mm -hmm. so that's going to lead to stress and anxiety and confusion and a bit of a jumble whereas if you can try not to do that for the first hour of the day or half an hour or whatever it is then you've got a much better chance of them being able to receive it properly because you're ready yes well there's quite a few things there actually that we could uh, go down a rabbit hole on here that are so interesting because i think um in terms of high performance that you've mentioned. So I mean, I, I'm a big believer in the morning routine sets your day. Um, and you've touched on two of the main things that I would practice in the morning. And one is gratitude and the other is uh, meditation. And I think that the way you've combined those powerfully together is actually very interesting because you're expressing gratitude yourself and then for your family or your loved ones. Um, and then you're doing the visualization. And I think, you know, the evidence shows um, on research that you can't, have more in your life or whatever you're trying to attract, you're visualizing what you want to attract yeah. into your life until you're grateful for what you already have. Oh, right. Um, uh, which is quite interesting that you've done those in that order. I, didn't, I actually um, didn't know that. So uh, I, I knew the power of it. I know the power of visualization because mm-hmm. I've experienced it myself. I, 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 I talked to you earlier about um, seven years ago, deciding I must change my life uh, because I, just wasn't sleeping properly and, and actually saying in seven years, I'm going to have done all this, re, 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 reset it, if you like, and, and, and yeah. carved out a new path for myself. And it's actually seven years this week that that, that event occurred. number seven. And it is. Because um, it seems like seven seems to be, like when you look at businesses, they often are really thriving and getting where they want to be in seven years. It's, mm. But you mentioned some significance over seven years and the link in terms of biblical yeah, Reference. I just wondered, you know, when it when it, and I just it just came to me. I mean, can I talk a bit more detail about that yeah, event? Absolutely. Because, yeah, so I was forty eight. Mm-hmm. I was managing director of a major company in Sri Lanka, one of the biggest British companies in Sri Lanka, six hundred staff, growing very fast and doing doing well. And uh, the family was very well settled in in Sri Lanka, mm-hmm. and, and my, my son seemed very happy at school and loving playing cricket every day and all this sort of stuff. And we had a lovely house and lots of support staff and a lot of the trappings that expatriates often enjoy. And I woke up one day at 3 a.m. because that's when I was waking up every day at at that time. And I just thought, this is not me. This is not what I want to be doing in the future forever. This Mm -hmm. This is an interesting phase and I'm grateful for a lot of the abundance and a lot of things that we have here. However, it's not where I want to be in seven years' time. And, it, and I didn't deliberately pick seven. Just, I don't know, it came from thin air. And that was, as I said, it's, it's, I know because I'm, it's my birthday on Sunday. I'm 55 on Sunday. I know exactly that it was this week, seven years seven ago, years. that that happened. 
uh, which I didn't think about until yesterday. Actually, it's just amazing that you asked me to do this podcast this week, not not last week or next week. And what I thought is, what, you know, what I need is I need to be doing something that's more intellectually stimulating. I was running a company that was doing well, and we had lots of challenges, and we continue to be able to grow. And you know, there's all the, the good things about that, and working with the Sri Lankan team, which I loved doing. I love it. I particularly like the people side of, of being an MD and, and running a business. However, it still wasn't intellectually stimulating enough for me. And I felt that I didn't want to be, still be working for someone else in seven years and all the, all the other sort of frustrations. A lot of business leaders feel when they get to a certain point in their career. And that was really my moment where I said, I need to find another way. I sent a dozen emails to different people I knew who I thought might have an idea about what to do. And I think one wrote back and said, well, you know, if you basically, you know, I'll, if you want to work with me and it'll cost X, I'll find out. Um, another suggested a couple of coaching courses, which didn't feel quite right for me. And another said, I've got an idea, but when you're next in Singapore, because I was living in Sri Lanka at the time, I went to Singapore reasonably regularly, We'll meet up and I'll talk to you about it. And it was that person, uh, Wendy Chua, who talked to me about a course that she discovered, which is the course at INSEAD that I've mentioned. I think I've mentioned already. We haven't. Uh, yeah, this yeah. is the executive master's in um, coaching and consulting for change. Yeah, so it's yeah. That, it was that that I discovered. And through doing that course, uh, which is something you do on a sort of four, four days every 10 weeks basis. And there's a thesis at the end. I had to choose a thesis topic, wrote down 20 things I'd like to change in my business, in my life, in the world, if you like, just things that I really wanted to change. And um, my supervisor said, you know, the thing that you want to change, the thing that will be right for the thesis is the thing that's in the middle of the list. And ten, number 10 on the list was sleep. That's interesting. The thing that's in the middle. So out of a list of 20, number 10 was it's sleep. going to be the one in the middle. She said, because what will happen is you'll, the first few will be the things you shouldn't, you should put like, I don't know, virtual working or yeah. open plan offices or um, um, leading a global team or whatever it happens to be. And the, the stuff at the end will be the desperate things you think you must have a good long list and you, you know, you're trying to scrape the barrel a bit. So most likely the ones in the middle will be the ones just sort your subconscious talking and intuitive. I guess that was that's what it was, and it, she was absolutely right. So this is an exercise people could do: is list out the twenty. What a, things what a good idea! Yeah, and that was this this that was five years. That was so that was September two thousand and fourteen. And if I look at a lot of the sleep literature that's become quite prominent recently, the books that have been written and so forth, a lot of it's actually come out since then. And at the time, my supervisor, who was French. I was doing the course in in Singapore, but she was she was French. Uh, in fact, she's American. I think um, she said to me, "It's a great subject to do because it's not that much literature about it." Now, obviously, that's evolved in five years. There's quite a lot of yeah. literature about sleep now. However, I guess the thing that she encouraged me to do, and which I've kind of maintained throughout the book, is to find my unique voice and my unique position on it. And that really is around being a business leader who's had a sleep problem, who's addressed it. Whereas lots of the other great work that we've got around, uh, with the possible, possible exception of Ariana Huffington, is written by doctors or psychologists. Mm -hmm. or psychologists. 
you're not belittling that. It's fantastic that they've done that. Uh, but sometimes I think a lot of people, I know I like to read a book where I get a story of someone and how they've addressed it and that's inspirational. And if they can give you some really practical tips to you could apply, but also you can apply with colleagues or your family or whatever, then that to me is what I'm looking for. So that's how I try to decide design the book. I think that's what you've done brilliantly in here. And I love the way um, it's split out with the coats and, and, and the sections um, where people can just turn to. It's easy to go back to and lift bits and actually take practical steps. And you've also done enormous amounts of research and then distilled that down into a very practical insight um, in ways that people can use it. Um, just if we could go back a little bit, because I know this is based on some of the research that yep. you've done in relation to the book and the work of um, Nick Littlehouse and the book ending of the day, because you talk about the first, I think the way he, he, he talks about that is the first 90 minutes and the last 90 yep. minutes. And um, it's that, uh, we've talked a little bit about the morning routine, but I think mm. the, the 90 minutes at the end of the day are really critical. And I think this is something that we naturally do when we have young children and we think that a baby must have a routine. And then we kind of, it just dissolves yeah. as they get older and then we forget ourselves yeah. how important this is. And this is something that you seem to have dialed in very well mm. now in terms of getting yourself ready and ending the day. Could you share that? Yeah, sure. I mean, for me, the key, the first key is not using the smartphone or the iPad or the computer. So not after nine o'clock or whatever apps we help us date nine o'clock. So having a definite cutoff time for that. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing. Not just because of the blue light, because you can get blue light emitting filters and so forth that can help you with that, etc. So it's not just around that. It's around the whole connection with what's going on with the screen and how that will, what you'll be thinking about and how you'll react to it. So that's the first key thing. And then for me, it's about talking to other people, making the odd quick phone call, maybe uh, tidying up all the sort of domestic stuff. You know, I think watching occasionally, watching a bit of television, as long as that's on a TV rather than on a, on a, on a, on a, on a device. Uh, and reading. I mean, for me, I would say if I, can, if I were to properly spend the full hour and a half, and I'm probably more like an hour than an hour and a half, but... If I spent the full hour and a half, I'd like to think I spent at least half of that time reading. Because mm -hmm. to me, that's the great time of the day to read. And I love to read. And I think that's a great way to have time for yourself to assimilate various things and, and restore and re regenerate. So I think for me, I encourage people to think, and what I, what I do is I think, oh gosh, I need to, you know, I need to tidy my study. I'm not the, the best at, uh, I work from home quite a lot. I'm not the best at, you know, putting the papers away and I'm still a bit traditional in using paper and pen and quite a lot of things like that. So that's part of what I do as well. So it's that sort of re ending the day and wrapping things up and so, so forth. I know other people that do that, do their meditation then. Um, and in a way I can think that's probably quite a great time to do meditation. Uh, but for me, I actually will do the body scanning in the night if I wake up or in the morning, I'll go to the meditation. I also use the magnesium, uh, the Epsom salt baths as well. On a daily basis? No, not on a daily basis. If, when I've been very stressed, yes. So it really depends. I'm blessed at the moment that I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. I've just published a book. I'm in a very good place. So typically, I'm not that stressed at the end of the day. I'm, I'm having some great, I'm, I'm in a positive place. But I can think of a few years ago when I was very stressed, where I did use them on a daily basis mm -hmm. because it's a fantastic way to unwind. Firstly, a bath, I think, is a great way to, to unwind. Mm -hmm. uh, it's such a luxury these days. Most of us only yeah. ever take a shower. 
obviously it's not very helpful to people who don't have baths in their house, but you know, those for those that do a bath, it's a wonderful thing. And again, as you probably know better than me, Angela, the research suggests that not only is magnesium great for helping you go to sleep, magnesium is not created by the body, so you have to find a way to take it in, whether it be through broccoli or having an Epsom salt bath or magnesium tablets or whatever else. And I do, often on I've used magnesium tablets, I haven't found them to be as important for me as others have. I know others that have started using it and have said it's changed their life in terms of their sleep patterns. So I'm, I think that's a great thing to look at. Uh, but also there's quite a bit of evidence, I think, to say that taking magnesium in through your skin is a very efficient way to do it. Very efficient. And so that's another great... Mm. And why not have a bath? 15 yeah. minutes, 20 minutes? And I think if you can't, if you don't have a bath or you, you haven't got time on that mm. occasion, you can, that transdermal um, absorption, you yeah. can actually do through a magnesium oil. Oh, right. Um, and just put it on. And mm. I think that can really help. Because it does, as you say, it relaxes the muscles. And, mm. But the great thing that I think about a bath is that not only can you get the, like, the magnesium benefits, but where it's warming up the body, when you come out of the bath, um, you're then, your body basically has a kind of thermal dump. Mm. So it takes that heat and offloads it, which cools the body. And you oh, mentioned this in the book, yeah. that we need to have a cool room mm. to sleep effectively. Yeah. And so it's coming from both angles mm. and you've got the whole relaxation experience. Mm. That's um, probably why it works so well, yeah. Yes, no, I, I certainly, I know it's it's one of my, as I said, a lot of the things I've said, uh, I write about are, are low tech. Yeah. I mean, a bath is pretty low tech, like using alarm clocks rather than smartphones. If you have to use an alarm, pretty low tech. You know, it's like when I mention alarm top clocks to people, it's like, oh, I remember them. No one ever seems to have them there, but... <coughs> Because the first thing they say, if you, if you talk to people about, we're jumping ahead a bit, but if you talk to people about not using electronic devices, they say, how am I going to wake up with an alarm? And I say, well, there are other ways to get alarms. But but yeah, I think... But don't emit the radio. <coughs> I mean, even if you have it on airplane exactly. mode, even if you turn it off, there's still, it's charging, most people are charging it. So the cadmium's there. It's, you are basically exposing yourself to things I don't think you need to I out. don't think we fully understand yet mm. what's happening with with a phone in terms of radiation, you're quite right. Um, even what we understand is frightening, let alone all the things we don't understand. <coughs> Pardon me. So I think that, yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for some of these traditional methods. Yeah, particularly with children. I think it's up until the age of 12, their skulls are actually um, thin, so there's even more mm. risk. Um, you're getting to so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating all the, um, the tips that you share in terms of getting a good night's sleep and also if you wake up and go back to sleep. Um, but also what's really important, I think, that people underestimate is a lot of people, particularly those that are very busy and often in very senior positions, will say, yeah. well, I don't need to sleep or I can cope on five hours or six hours. And you um, talk about the research um, of sleep and McKinsey's research on this and about, I think people underestimate just how much lack of sleep or lack of quality sleep, so whether that's quantity or quality or both, um, really impacts their decision-making and their creativity, um, that's which right. are two very powerful things. Can you elaborate a bit on that? Yeah. So the front part of our brain, mm-hmm. sometimes called, often called the neocortex, uh, sometimes the front part of the neocortex is called the prefrontal cortex, in fact. That is the part that is responsible for what's called the executive functions, according to neuroscientists. 
and these tend to be things around problem solving, reasoning, organization, planning, creativity, carrying out plans, etc. And it, research suggests that that part of the brain is most affected more than any other part by sleep. Mm-hmm. So the, the great news is if you get good quality and quantity of sleep, that's going to help those ex- what we call those executive functionings. Flip side is if you're not, it can seriously damage it. And if you think about the world we're living in, as we increasingly will have supposedly robots and AI to help us with more repetitive, less cognitively stretching functions, if you like, the ability of us to function in that area really well will be even more important for people in leadership roles, CEOs, higher leadership, executive directorship roles. It's really, really important that they can function at their best and use those skills optimally. Now, there's a, there's a few areas that really get affected if you don't sleep well. Okay. And this is, again, this goes to the research you were talking about by Els van der Helm, and it was published in the McKinsey Quarterly three or four years ago. One is results orientation. Because to really be a great leader of a business, for example, to be properly results orientated, you need to both be able to think about the day-to-day and the strategic Mm. it's almost like that helicopter mode, the ability yes. to, to come down and focus and then go back up. Yeah. And you basically typically lose that ability if you're, if you're short of sleep. In fact, as I mentioned in the book, if you're awake 20 hours, and quite a lot of leaders are, then your ability to function is exactly the same as having 0.1% of alcohol in your blood, which in America is the drink driving limit. And what is that in real terms, in terms of, do you know how much you've drunk? Is that like the equivalent of one unit um, of alcohol, roughly? So I think it's between one or two units in the US, yeah, something like that, okay. yeah. So that's, but the good news is, if you sleep better, you sleep sleep more, then then you're, you're getting that, mm. if you like, your maximum quota from a results orientation point of view. The next thing is, I think we touched on a bit in terms of creativity and this ability to solve problems. If you're short of, if you, when, you're, when you're in a good place and you've had the right amount of sleep, your creativity, your insight development and your pattern recognition are really sharp. And especially in the world of consultants, which I've worked in uh, partly, spotting patterns is really key to be able to, to cut through, to get some insights and come up with options on a problem. Because you think, oh, I've seen things a little bit like that before. Not exactly the same, but I can see some elements of pattern. Now, there's been quite a bit of research as well to show that if you have a nap for 3 p.m., you can refresh yourself such that after the nap, you'll be much better at spotting those patterns. Mm-hmm. And so your creativity will be, will, be height, will be greater as well. So it links very much to not just making sure you get a good night's sleep, but also being aware of where you are in terms of your current yeah, absolutely. performance and your current state and thinking, yes, actually, what I could really do with is half an hour's nap after lunch because I know I've got to meeting at three o'clock where I'm really going to need my, my you know, my, to be at my best yeah, for, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And the same is true for seeking different perspectives. And I really, really remember this from my time in Sri Lanka as a leader of a business there a few years ago when I was probably having my worst sleep phase. Is when you are really tired, 
and someone comes in, for example, a member of my leadership team would come in at 5 p.m. and start saying, well, you know, we had that meeting this morning, Giles, and we agreed a certain approach to something. I've been thinking about it, and I think that might not be the smartest thing to, to do. And can I talk to you about an alternative idea I got? I would, well, I wouldn't show them the door because I'm a polite person, but I'd be thinking, no. Now is not a good time. Well, I'm not sure ever will be a good time, as in I can't, I don't want to know, we've made a decision, we're moving on, and even though I respect you and you're one of my senior people and I really think you know what you're talking about, I just haven't got the capacity to reopen that that, that box, as it were. And that that wish to not seek different perspectives is a, is a, is a really poor trait a leader, if you get to that stage, because not only are you closing yourself down to different options, what you need from your team so that they come to you with different options so you can thrash them out. Um, but also it's a highly demotivational for the people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, a, you know, it's terrible. So I think... As and I that is as a result of the sleep problems you think you were having. Yeah. You were just actually mentally, because your executive yeah. function isn't working as well. It's like, just, I can't, I can't, I can't don't, don't come, please. You know, and it's not like they're coming to me with problems, though it's often coming to me with potential alternative solutions, but I still couldn't cope with it. And the last one, which links to that in a way, is supporting others. If you, as a leader or anybody, are absolutely shattered and just not getting proper sleep, emotionally, you just aren't in a place to either support people or take an interest in them mm. or and develop those sort of trusted relationships. So I, I think when at my most shattered, someone would come in for a meeting and say, how are you? And they might start to tell me how they were, as opposed to, I'm fine especially in certain cultures I've worked in in Asia, when I get to know people, they actually may be a little bit more personally connected and they'll actually tell you and start telling you about their family or whatever. When I was shattered, I'd be thinking, please, you know, I, do, do me a favour, we just need to move into the problem now. It was actually, that's a terrible thing because as long as you, do it, as long as you don't spend all day on it, the fact that you've built enough rapport and you have a relationship with someone that works with you from a different culture that's prepared to come and talk to you about the fact that it was their kid's first day at school today or um, they're really pleased with how their husband's doing it, their new job or whatever it happens to be, is a great thing. Mm -hmm. But again, when you're really short of sleep, that sort of ability to support others and just being able to understand them and meet them where they are goes out. And again, that's terrible for a client relationships as well because if you're going to see clients and you just want to get on to the business discussion it, 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 it certainly I mean, in some cultures that's fine and in, in certain organizations in america as my, my experience of dealing in america was is much more you know, straight into yeah. discussion or whatever it is but a lot of other a lot of other particularly i think as you move from the uk further east in my experience particularly into asia pacific there's much more of a need for that sort of thing beforehand so those are some of the the things, and I do, I mention it in the book in some detail, that go out of the window. Mm. And the thing is, Angela, sleep is free. Yeah. It's not like you've got to go to a business school and learn how to do this. No. You've just got to find ways, which I try and which do my do best to explain, to, to learn how to do it properly and, and enough of it. Uh, so, and, and, and these, all these things are then a competitive edge. If you're sleeping properly and you're properly regenerating and you're properly, and, and this is, I think we've talked about it before, um, 
in the sporting area, it's now well understood mm. that it is a competitive edge and people talk about programming sleep at the right time and so forth. And athletes have to program in downtime and so forth to make sure they're properly based. And I'm a great cricket fan. And if you look at the way, the, one of the reasons why the Australians have retained the Ashes in the current series is that they've rotated their bowlers so well in different matches. They've said, we're going to play so-and-so in match one, two, and three. And you know they've actually done that. Partly because of exactly this, the whole concept of regeneration and rest and sleep, and really understood that and used it. Mm-hmm. It's a competitive advantage. Well, and, it, and it's free. Yeah. And they know, and I think it's not just athletes, is it? Because I think if you look at um, you know, leadership, people in high leadership positions, executives, entrepreneurs, the energy demands on those individuals are akin to an athlete. And mm. I always say to my clients, um, working with those high performing clients is you need to teach yourself, you need to treat yourself as an athlete. If you're giving yourself the nutrition, the sleep, and the movement, you're going to perform and you're going to have that ultimate mm. edge. And those things are the basics before you, you know, often I'll talk about biohacking things, but you don't even need to go with those until you've got the basics right. Um, I don't know if you've used this at all, but I think it was Dr. Michael Bruce that coined the phrase Napa Latte. When you're going to have a nap, what you do is you basically make a black coffee directly before, mm. um, and you add a kind of some either some cool water or an ice cube quickly so that you can drink it. Yeah. You sort of knock it back um, as you would do a shot of alcohol. Yeah. In this case, it's the caffeine. So this definitely applies before you know around mm. two o'clock so that you've got rid of the yeah. caffeine, and then um, you then get yourself down for your nap. Now, depending on whether you're a slow or fast metabolizer or intermediate yeah. caffeine, which we can tell with gen- looking at genetics, um, everyone will process that in a slightly different way. That's right. But generally, by the time they then have that 25, 26-minute yeah. nap, they're then awake and full-powered. So they've got the benefits of the caffeine and the nap, and they'll be good to go for another three to four hours. I met someone earlier this week who'd been in architect school and she used exactly the same technique because they were always pretty exhausted and they used to use they didn't put the cold water in I shouldn't mention that they probably did but she talked yeah, about the quick, the quick express though have a, have a half an hour's nap and then she'd wake up naturally so yeah so I think if you're only espresso then you probably don't yeah. need to add cold I think that's the critical thing is that you're not adding any milk or butter or cream to the coffee because then you're going to slow down the caffeine absorption mm. and what you want is for it to be processed quite quickly for when you wake up um, and that's uh, a good time saving hack now in your own case you suffered with sleep apnea I did. think this is something that is crucial and can't be ignored so if people are having sleep issues um, and they're how, how did you know you had sleep apnea was this initially through snoring you were talking about it was waking your yeah I wife. did I did have sleep apnea that was part of how I discovered it I went to see a doctor when we moved back from living overseas to London five years ago I went to see a GP about sleep in fact I'd been to see a GP about snoring issues 10 years ago and he just told me we don't deal with that on the NHS so that was the view I was given in 2007 or 8 and at that time I did a sleep apnea test do with putting something on my finger and my they, they made some measurements about my sleep and they, they they said they don't think there's anything wrong with it you know what's your problem sort of thing so most unhelpful in 2014 went back to see a doctor he gave me some tablets which i didn't take but he did also say if you want to go to a private
a clinic and have your sleep measured and do like a, an overnight sleep study, you can. Again, it's not paid for by private health, but if you want to, and partly because I was doing the thesis, I decided to do it. So I actually went to Harley Street, spent a night at a place, wired up, uh, I think about 70 or 80 different point. I don't know how many it was, uh, wired up of um, things on my chest and arms and legs and so forth to see what was happening. And through that, with all the readings the professor had, he said, yes, you've definitely got sleep apnea, but it's mild. It's a mild dose. And I'd also done the, I think it's called the Epworth sleep scale test, which is a test for sleep apnea. And I'd already scored uh, from that a level since so I had a mild sleep apnea problem. So is this where you're holding your breath in the middle of the night and then you sort of wake up briefly to catch your breath? Yeah. So you, so you have these micro wake-ups, as it were, okay. that happens. And as a result of all these micro it's very disruptive and you're not getting, you're not getting the quality of sleep mm-hmm. that you, you need to have. And so I, ha- I had that. I do use the, it's called the CPAP, which is this mask that you can use to help you with regulate your, your sleep. I don't use it every single night, but I do, I do use it pretty frequently. And there is certainly evidence to suggest that if you can do that and you can actually address through whatever means, and that's, that's the most common means, as I understand at the moment, certainly it's, and it's available in the H- NHS, this mm-hmm. device, you will reduce some of the harmful effects of sleep apnea, which can be life-prolonging, as well as you know helping you with your sleeping properly, which also helps you with your weight and all sorts of other things, as well as the, the cognitive functions we've been talking about. So, and I believe there's a lot of people... Yeah, I, I can't. I, I forget the percentage of populations, to be honest, that have sleep apnea. But it's it's it's, it's quite common. It's it? quite yeah, common. It's not uncommon, certainly, is it? Um, quite a few people do have it, and I think they don't realise maybe how much it is affecting their sleep. Because it's very difficult with those micro wake ups to actually ever get into that deep regenerative mm. sleep um, that you need. For because they're micro wake ups, you don't even know you're waking up. Mm. That's the point. So I think they measured. In my case, that eve, that night, 95 micro wake-ups or something like that. And apparently that was mild. But for someone sleep apnea, because some people can be hundreds. Yeah. So it's quite a, quite a common problem and obviously affecting a lot of people. And so now you've, that's well managed, is it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I use the device mm-hmm. quite regularly and... It's like any anything you've got to get used to. You have to take it's something you have to get a bit used to and learn how to adjust it when you're wearing it and so forth. But I find and it's it's quiet. So for people thinking, oh, you know, my my other half will never never stand for that. Well, actually, it doesn't make much noise at all. It's not something that would disturb a sleeping. Bed. And maybe it's like a little bit of white noise that can actually help with sleep anyway. Maybe, maybe it yeah. is for some. It's better than uh, than listening to snoring, isn't it? <laughs> a lot better. And waking up. Um, so there's a couple more things when we were chatting um, before we began this that um, I just want to touch on that's really interesting because you mentioned this in the book um, that it wasn't just the sleep apnea but that to actually get good sleep you had to look at your lifestyle much more and that um, your nutrition and your exercise and eating clean and you mentioned these periodic um, detoxes yeah, that you right. do. Um, what would you advise? What, what's moved the needle the most in terms of exercise and nutrition and lifestyle factors for getting a good night's sleep? Giving up coffee. 
completely giving up coffee or in my in my case giving up coffee was the thing the biggest thing to move the needle I'm not advocating that everyone has to give up coffee Mm -hmm. I'm advocating that people with sleep issues probably people without sleep issues but particularly people with sleep issues will will gain a huge amount by becoming more mindful of their coffee consumption and one way to do that is to give it up for a month which is incredibly painful mm-hmm. uh, and certainly in my case resulted in four or five days of headaches. acute migraines almost and really really bad headaches so always do that if you can you, know, you almost have to take a long weekend to do it because your ability to function at work will be limited once you've once you've started it but in that 30-day period you will not only feel a lot better for doing it but you'll also get a much more real understanding of what your circadian clock is and what your natural time for going to bed is and getting up is because as you know Angela you've probably documented in other podcasts you've done mm. the effect of caffeine on your system is to basically douse the uh, adenosine that you create mm. and stop it functioning so that's mm. the other chemical that's been released from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed mm-hmm. uh, and it actually coffee caffeine actually stunts that so if you do that the advantage is that you get you get the system back onto a, an even keel as it were and having done that then you can then choose what you do when you go back and just say okay I'm going to have a couple of cups in the morning or make sure whatever it is you know and the same is true of course of Tea, black tea, green tea, and a lot of these energy drinks as well, they will have caffeine in them as well. In fact, I think green tea probably has the most. I don't drink green tea anymore. So you have no caffeine at all? No, not, not, well, I do, I do drink, I do eat chocolate, not a lot of it, but there is caffeine in it. I don't deliberately have any other caffeine. And the other day I had green tea with lemon in it or something like that, by mistake. I thought I was having lemon and ginger and I... Someone was out somewhere and got the wrong tea bag, and my goodness, I was turbocharged because wow. I had because very quickly, it, very quickly very it quickly. showed me it showed me how I, my system has gladly cleaned up, but also the the effect of having that. Now, as I said, I'm not saying to people give up coffee. Mm. I'm saying give up coffee for a month mm. and tea for a month. Give yourself a month to clean out, and then see. How, how you return to it, as it were, and there are other there are you know other drinks are available. That's I the news. There, yeah, there are actually many, and what ones that actually stimulate your brain. We were talking about lion's mane mm. earlier, which I think is great for kind of sounds fantastic. Never, never had it, so we'll yeah, try that. Definitely worth a try. Um, and you don't get those effects, you know, because I think as you mentioned, their caffeine's um, very similar to adenosine. So the receptors, you kind of, you don't pick up the buildup of adenosine mm. when you've got caffeine in the system. Yeah. And then once that comes off, people feel that, they feel like they've got that spike from the caffeine and then it's falling off a cliff. Mm. That's because all that adenosine that's been building up is now flooded there on those receptors and you feel tired. And then they'll reach for the next coffee. And I think sometimes I know what I'll say to people as well is have three weeks with caffeine and one week without just to reset those receptors so that you're a little bit more sensitive to caffeine than you have been when you're having it all the time. Um, That's probably more practical suggestion than mine, which is quite radical, I think. Well, I think you have to be radical, though, to actually kickstart something. I think you do. And I think it helps you become more mindful. Mm. Um, And I gave, sorry, I'll just say, I I gave it up for a month. 
and have that was the 28th of June 2015 not that I'm counting and I've never gone back and that but I only gave it up for a month but having done the month I felt so much better for it and also doing some other exercise stuff with it but not intense just gradually building up doing some walking up Primrose Hill near where I live and stuff not running or just getting back into a slightly more uh, conscious exercise and healthy lifestyle I then thought well gosh I don't I don't want to go back to it because I want to keep the gains. So that was the number one thing mm. that changed for me is, is, is in my case, giving it up. But for anybody, I think getting control over caffeine because it, it is the most widely accepted drug in the world. Yeah. Effectively. And if you look at the growth of coffee sales globally, it's, I think they're still pretty strong and most of us don't really understand it. Mm-hmm. Until we stop and think and read about it or get some education about it. And yet we're all, even from a young age, people using sports drinks or starting to drink coffee in their teenage years or drink tea or whatever, taking it. I think like most drugs, it's a powerful tool, but it's a poor master, isn't it? Um, and I certainly, I, mean, I find with sleep, what I would see is probably the three worst things you can have um, genetically, because as you... As we know, sleep is genetic in terms of whether you are a morning person or a night owl. Um, there isn't a great deal that you can do to really, really shift that. Is I find that for people who are night owls um, and who have a slower caffeine metabolism, so it stays in the system longer, and have um, they metabolize dopamine differently, so it's kind of hanging around longer and have a more of that motivation or maybe more anxiety-based format, they... They actually don't do well, definitely, drinking coffee later because that combination, and that's the person that's going to then toss and turn all night. And you can find out these things pretty easily now through Mm. a simple saliva test and actually understand your own genetics, and that can then inform your routine. Um, But one of the things you mentioned as well in the book that I think is really important is the concept of light, and you mentioned that in relation to exercise, and you touched on that a moment ago about going for walks. I think going and getting the natural Mm. light is a great way to reset the circadian clock. Yeah, there's some research I mentioned in the book around people that have natural light in the day versus people that don't sleep longer. Yeah. I think it was about 40 minutes or something like that. Incredible. Mm. Um, And I think that, I mean, here we are in doing this conversation in a lovely office with natural light. And I think back, I know that... For example, a major consultancy in London that's just moved office that I've done some work with, they have changed things around so that all the people that are likely to be there long hours, the more junior people doing a lot of the analysis, are sitting around at the windows and the partners that are there much less and are traveling much more and spend much time typically less in the office and more out with clients and traveling are more in the center. That makes sense. Which Doesn't is the reverse sense? of how yeah. the previous office was set up. Yeah, how interesting. And so they've deliberately gone for that as a new way of designing the office. And that makes a huge amount of sense. Yeah, it does make a massive amount of sense. I think I think people underestimate that. And also the fact that there are receptors for light all over the body. It's not just through the eyes. Um, I think it was a recent study I read about people going on their mobile phones, and you've already mentioned putting on yeah. the technology. They were going on their mobile phones at night, and actually just that blue light from the phone is impacting liver function and detoxification overnight because the liver should be doing that job. And it's meant to have, you know, if you think about sunset, the lights are going down. And this is why I say wear blue light blocking glasses if you're watching television, is that if you're looking at your phone, 
it's being picked up through the receptors and then the liver isn't functioning very well or as well as it should do during that. And I think people really underestimate. But, um, yeah, I think we've kind of touched on so much there. Um, you mentioned in the book as well, I should point out, is about retimer glasses that you can use mm. when you're travelling um, to simulate that day, um, daylight. But um, this is an absolutely brilliant book. It's so practical um, in the way that you've written it. And certainly in the sort of second half of the book, there are highlighted pages in blue. I love the way that's done. So people can actually go back and easily find bits of research or practical tips that they want to use. Um, So thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you, Angela. Anything else that you'd like to add on this before we... No, I've just encouraged people... Uh, to apart from reading the book of course yeah. find me on LinkedIn Giles Watkins I'm easily available on LinkedIn and reach out to me if they want to because I'm so keen to hear people's stories about sleep how they go about it, addressing it I'm already I only published the book last week but I already have a file on my laptop which has got second edition in it second edition labelled oh, wow. and because I'm already thinking in one or two years time I want to update the book because yeah. sleep science as you know is is relatively new mm-hmm. I mean it's less than 100 years ago that people really started scientifically studying sleep apart from what was probably done in ancient times and neuro- the importance of sleep and neuroscience is now much better understood and neuroscience again is developing all the time we're finding out mm-hmm. so much more about the brain so there's so much new things to learn and so I just encourage people not only to look for the the benefits that they can get from sleeping better in their lives but also share with me whatever they come up with because I'd love to hear it so where's the best place for them to share is this on LinkedIn I'll link to that in the show notes Um, this is available in on Amazon it's available in bookstores that is yeah and it's also available Um, as a Kindle version as well as uh, hardback okay so I'll link to all of that in the show notes um, and yeah, it's an absolutely brilliant book. I'll be leaving my own five star review. So thanks so oh, much. Thanks for so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Remember to review and subscribe. You can grab the show notes, the resources, and highlights of everything Angela mentioned over at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. You can also snatch up plenty of other goodies, including the highly helpful Angela Recommends page, which is a list of everything she personally recommends to optimize your mind, body and lifestyle.